Welcome back to the Sharon Fitzmaurice podcast. And today we have episode 101. Can you believe it? I want to thank all of you for your support and congratulations and best wishes on my 100th episode, which was last week. And again, something that started for me to help others and inspire them from my amazing guests. It has just been oh, I, I, not a roller coaster because it wasn't that fast. It was me taking my time, introducing these beautiful guests and sharing their stories of where they have come from and celebrating their resilience and how they can help you now. So my wonderful guest today is Jennifer Woodward, and she holds a Master of Science in Integrated Nutrition and is a Certified Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Practitioner. She is also a Board Certified Functional Wellness Coach. And if that wasn't enough, Jennifer is the Executive Director of the Association of Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Professionals, where she is mentored by Reed Davis, another wonderful guest that was on this show some time ago. And Jennifer is the creator of the acclaimed FDN Business School, and she loves getting to help new FDN thrive professionally. Jennifer, you are so very welcome. I am so excited to be here, Sharon, and congratulations on your 101st episode. What an accomplishment. Thank you so much. And one of the things I love about podcasting or storytelling, Jennifer, is really sharing our truths, you know, coming on and saying we're not all these perfect people that you see on screenshots and on podcasts that we've had to work through and maybe still are working through challenges that we've faced in our own lives. And I love the topics that you speak about and I see you on social media and I just think it's amazing. And one of the topics, of course, that all women are interested in is perimenopause. And it's something that can be debilitating, life-altering, and it can have a huge effect not only on the person, but on their relationships, their careers, and their day-to-day living, which most people are not aware of until they actually realize they're perimenopausal. (laughs) Isn't that true, Jennifer? It's so true. (laughs) So how does somebody know they're actually perimenopausal? Because honest to God, Jennifer, when I was perimenopausal, I had no clue. It's like it was only starting to be spoke about, well, in Ireland, you know, maybe it was in other countries. But I remember saying it to my mother and she said, well, we never heard of perimenopause in our day, she said. So when did it really come to the fore and people start speaking about it more, Jennifer? Really, I think that social media has been part of the galvanizing force in in sharing, you know, more information about perimenopause because women by nature are curious. And so when a woman, you know, starts developing the symptoms of perimenopause, she's going to go online and start seeing, are other people experiencing this? What can I do about it? Why do I feel like I'm so out of control with my emotions? Why is my period getting worse? Why can't I sleep through the night? Um, and, and those are, you know, some of the hallmarks, some of the hallmark symptoms of, of perimenopause. And we should probably discuss what that means. Perimenopause is a time in a woman's life, usually between the ages of 35 and 50, when estrogen levels or estradiol levels start fluctuating 
fluctuating wildly. So they can be really high one month. They can be really low one month. It's also characterized by declining levels of progesterone. So those are two things that you can see in lab work, but the symptoms are really where women, you know, start to realize, oh my goodness, I'm probably approaching perimenopause. And that's just like what we, you know, discuss sleep that starts to become really disturbed periods that start to become heavier or more painful, or even missed some months mood swings that are really similar to what you experienced in, in puberty, really um, PMS that's worse. Um, you know, food cravings, we, we can start to um, have more digestive disturbances in perimenopause as well as a result of some of those hormone imbalances. Um, those are just some of the things that characterize perimenopause. It has been likened to a second puberty. <laughs> so women, you know, right around the age of 35, they start thinking, oh, I've got it all together. I'm raising my kids. I've got my career. I'm doing so great in life. And then perimenopause hits us like a Mack truck and we are in our second puberty. <laughs> oh my goodness, you describe it so well. And that's a really good way to put it, second puberty, because we forget about puberty when we have gone through that and then we get pregnant you know if some of us are blessed to get pregnant and have our children and labor and I remember a lady saying to me one time she said when does it end and I said <laughs> what <laughs> and she said all of these women things she said when am I just going to get up one morning and there's going to be nothing she said it started when this lady was 12 when she got her first menstrual cycle and she said it hasn't stopped since. And she was something like 58 at this stage. Oh, poor dear. <laughs> it, so it really doesn't. Do, what can we do? Because I know this is something that you have, you've even studied. Um, you did a three-month-long internship with Dr. Corinne Dunstan, if I have her pronunciation right, getting hands-on training in women's hormones. Now, that to me is something I think that we're still learning about. And as you said, it's only when people start getting some symptoms that are strange and they're kind of going, what is this? You know, do I have perimenopause? You know, so what is the first thing that people may notice apart from the missed periods and the lack of sleep? Is there any other things that really stand out in that kind of hormonal change for women that you did when you were studying with Dr. Dunstan? Absolutely. Really one of the first things that women will come to us with are, are these mood disturbances. So we see a lot of women, you know, in their late thirties going to their doctors, complaining of, of mood disturbances, you know, heightened anxiety, more depression, feeling like their, their moods are just out of control. So it's a really common age for women, um, to go on, you know, Xanax or antidepressants, you know, they, they didn't feel like they needed those in their twenties or early thirties. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's this crushing, um, you know, emotional disturbance that, that is unending, you know, for a lot of times with women, we can have periods of, of anxiety or depression, but, you know, perimenopause can be characterized by this, this kind of recurrent um, anxiety or depression. We do see that, you know, those feelings are, are heightened around the menstrual cycle. So the week before, um, you know, a woman gets her period, it can, it can be heightened, um, but it's recurring, you know, month after month after month. And that really is due to those fluctuating levels of estrogen and progesterone. So it's not necessarily 
really something that needs to be corrected by, you know, Prozac, there are a lot more natural ways for a woman to start to make these interventions in her life that can really balance out those mood swings. And when you said it, and I was just speaking with my husband this morning, and we were talking with a friend of ours who's a pharmacist, and we were talking about that when people go to their GP or consultant, you know, and they're prescribed, you know, an antidepressant, mm-hmm. that there's never any advice on nutrition or exercise, that the easy thing to do is to hand out a prescription for a pill. And again, I know in some cases it is needed for some people, but not for us all. So for many women that are going, that are, are going through or nearly, you know, through their perimenopause, all of those things. And they've come back to me with stories of, well, I was given an antidepressant, you know, Mm. and that helped maybe balance out things for a little while, but overall it didn't do anything. And they're seeking help. And that's why they're going online because they don't know who else to ask because a lot of GPs are not giving you the answers that you need to help. A hundred percent true. And I know I, you talk a lot, Sharon, about, about childhood trauma and just, you know, being in, in that dark place and having a hard time getting out of it. And I love the work that you do and showing women, you know, how to, how to handle that. Um, Cause it's something that women go through. Like we are em- empaths. We feel very deeply. We are created to care for others. And, you know, during perimenopause, it can be a time of deeper reflection for women. So past childhood trauma can absolutely come up, you know, in your late thirties and early forties. There, there really is a lot to say, um, you know, we can't discount that sort of uh, midlife crisis sort of feeling that women have that can be exacerbated by these fluctuating hormone levels. And so going on, you know, an antidepressant, it, it, I would never say that no one should be on an antidepressant. It can be a helpful adjunct therapy for those who, who really need it. Um, but you're absolutely right in the fact that, you know, traditional uh, practitioners aren't necessarily trained in, in nutrition and exercise. And most importantly, most importantly, a healthy, you know, stress management, uh, you know, technique suite that women can have to, to really help balance out those moods. Um, you know, of course, supplements are in there as well, if needed, if you've tested and your body's, you know, lacking in some sort of mineral or, um, you know, vitamin that can be really helpful as well. But man, if I have not seen diet be the crux, the absolute linchpin of, you know, starting to rebalance a body that's out of balance. Um, it just is so first and foremost important for women who are going through that change of perimenopause. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, and I suppose now I'm 52, so I'm over the perimenopause and kind of into the menopause and I have found things that have helped me, but again, through kind of self-discovery and speaking to other women, which I think are amazing and what has helped them. And one of the things um, one friend said to me, she said, exercise really helped her in so many ways. But again, it was changing her diet and what she was putting in. And there were supplements, especially for the sleep and different things like that, that helped her. But again, it doesn't work the same for every person. So what would you advise to somebody that has been to their local practitioner and they may have been described a antidepressant and they haven't filled it because they're like, no, there must be another way. So when you're saying, you know, are they mineral deficient, where do they get tested for that? Because I can tell you when I went to have my blood tested to find out where I was, 
on that journey, you know, that was it. I was told I'd go on HRT and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, so many good questions in there. So yeah. to answer to answer that last question quickly, I will tell you, working with a functional health practitioner like myself, we do have access to these, you know, next level functional lab tests where we can look at your blood and see, is there something that is deficient? in the body. We can look at hair, a sample of your hair to see, you know, is there mineral deficiencies in the body or over sufficiencies of something like iron or copper, which can have just as, you know, negative of an effect in the body as, you know, being deficient in a mineral. Those are, those are two ways that you can absolutely test. And we always say tests don't guess, right. Yeah. But I will tell your listeners that there is a free way to do this because not everyone has access to these labs and they are expensive. What I use a lot with my clients is I, I give them, you know, access to a tracking app. So something like my fitness pal, or my favorite is chronometer or chronometer, and you can download this app for free. And if you can track your food for, you know, seven to 14 to 21 days, chronometer has this amazing feature where it goes through every micronutrient, every mineral, every vitamin that you can possibly get in your diet. And you have data in black and white and can see I'm deficient in iron. I'm not eating enough vitamin C today. My magnesium levels are really low through my diet. And if you can see that on your data, then you're able to maybe eat foods that are higher in magnesium, maybe take 400 milligrams of a magnesium pill just to make up for that deficiency in your diet. So it's a really great action item for your listeners to experiment with and see, you know, can I get these, these deficiencies, you know, uh, kind of rectified through my diet? Oh, that is very good because I think that's one of the things I think that's lacking you know, is knowing what to take, you know, what foods are good for you, what foods you need to balance out. And again, coming down to nutrition and what we're putting into our bodies to help balance out a lot of the things in the body. So, yeah, I love that because, and a really important point you made there was some people are, they have too much iron and too much copper in their system. But again, they might think, well, I'm run down, so I must take more iron and they're doing actually more damage to themselves then. Yes, yes, they absolutely can be. And again, that's why I really encourage every woman, you know, take that control in your life. It's, it doesn't have to be a time where you feel out of control. There are many different steps that you can take to give yourself that confidence to work systematically through some of the imbalances that can happen during perimenopause. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. There's so many things about perimenopause, isn't there? And I'm sure um, after this podcast goes out, Jennifer, that there'll be a million more questions that women (laughs) have because we can't answer everything that comes up for people. But the main issues really are the sleep. So for sleep, what do you suggest? Now, I know I started taking magnesium around the time I was perimenopausal because I did find that I was quite anxious. And again, that brought up, as you said, anxiety from my childhood trauma. And again, I was working to resolve that also and going, is there more going on in my body? So of course, Mm -hmm. I'm very aware. I do a lot of self-reflection. I'm very aware when my body is giving me signals. But again, this was something new to me. And one of the things that I do again it's like kinesiology the muscle testing you know is magnesium a good supplement for me right now is this a right amount to take and the interesting thing after a while my body started letting me know when i had enough magnesium in my system 
Yes, it will do that, right? <laughs> yeah, I was just, I just thought it was amazing. If we listen to our bodies, it's telling us what we need, you know, if we get more in tune with it. And I think for me, now that I'm at this stage, you know, I may not have been when I started out perimenopausal, was that it brought me on a deeper learning and understanding of my body. And I thought, you know what, we've taken it for granted for many years and here it is going through another beautiful change. And I don't want to say an awful change. There was days when it was awful. But then I realized it is a beautiful change. But it's the way we look at it and the way we take care of ourselves through that with compassion and kindness. Instead of giving out about the sweats and the lack of sleep. And I've done all of those things as well. But I think it is bringing women back to showing themselves that kind, nurturing energy that they've given to everybody else in the past. Yes. Oh, a hundred percent. I fully agree with you there. Um, you know, in our teens in our twenties and our early thirties, we are, we are living fast lifestyles. We just start, we are women, we are high performers and we want to please everyone. That's just the, the pattern that I see with a lot of women. And so, you know, we'll cut short our sleep. We'll, you know, cut short our calories, our fat, our, you know, carbohydrates, all of our good nutrients, which also cut short our vitamins and minerals, you know, we'll overstress, uh, just cause that's the nature of thing going through, through school, starting a family, starting a career. Like there are lots of stressors that a woman's body will undergo for decades. And I see that those, those stressors, you know, start to catch up with us in perimenopause. So anything that we've kind of pushed under the rug in our earlier years tends to manifest very quickly and very powerfully in those perimenopausal years. And we should talk a little bit about, you know, the role of estrogen and progesterone in that sleep deficiency. I love that you started with magnesium. I adore the fact that you muscle tested because you're testing and you're not guessing, you know, how much magnesium does Sharon's body need at this given time? It's a beautiful way to, you know, to, to get back what you're lacking in your body. Um, but there's, you know, that's a great first tier kind of intervention. Ladies, if you're, if you're not sleeping well, start with what Sharon did start with magnesium, but also realize that there are these, again, like insufficiencies and imbalances in the body from a hormonal perspective. Now our, our estrogen levels will generally swell for the first, you know, 14 days or so of our menstrual cycle, a traditional 28 day menstrual cycle. And then progesterone does its work in the later site, the later stages of our cycle. So that's called the luteal phase. And that's because at ovulation, a woman's body beautifully, amazingly so will turn turn the follicle that the egg has released from into what's called a corpus luteum. So it's this beautiful structure that becomes fully vascularized in less than 24 hours. It's just amazing. amazing. So what, right, the purpose of that corpus luteum is to start creating progesterone. So every month we are supposed to create this little progesterone factory in the body. The culminating event of your menstrual cycle is not the bleed itself. It's ovulation. We want, you know, the body to create progesterone for that 14 days of our luteal phase because it's progesterone that's very calming to the body. It's progesterone that acts on the GABA receptors of the brain that allows us to get a really good deep night's sleep. It's progesterone that's very protective against too much estrogen being created by the body or that we're exposed to from outside in our environment. So progesterone, I call her the queen. <laughs> she is the beautiful hormone that so many of our, our, you know, our bodies are deficient in. And I can tell you, 
if ladies, you know, you've been on the birth control pill for years or decades, like I was and many of my clients were, or, you know, the patch or the pellet, and you've suppressed unwittingly and unwillingly, you didn't know, you know, you've suppressed this beautiful event of, of ovulation for so many years. You've also robbed your body of that precious progesterone for so many years. And that's why in perimenopause, we start to see those sleep disturbances and the anxiety start to crop up because progesterone's role is, you know, majorly for sleep and anxiety, um, balance, right? So, uh, that is one of the major reasons why I see my clients being, uh, you know, coming to me with these deep sleep disturbances because their progesterone levels are so low and have been so low for so many decades. So it's one of the first things I do is test progesterone levels test estrogen levels in my clients. Your GP can do this. Your OBGYN can test your estrogen and progesterone. And if you're testing progesterone, just as a quick aside, you really want to test progesterone day 19, 20, or 21 of your cycle. So about five days after ovulation, that's theoretically when progesterone levels will be the highest. Um, and, and we want plenty of that progesterone. So for women who are deficient in progesterone, um, in the States, you know, we can use uh, progesterone as a bioidentical over-the-counter supplement. So that's something that I'll do in low doses with clients. If the lab testing shows that that's something we need, if not, I'll send them back to their OBGYN or their GP to again, retest progesterone levels and maybe get on some oral micronized progesterone. So that's one of the first things I will do if somebody comes to me with sleep disturbances. However, <laughs> it's not everything. There's still that dietary component that's so important. So getting a woman at least a hundred grams of high quality animal protein every single day, is very calming to the body, very calming to the brain. One of the main things I see with my women is that they're under eating. They're not eating enough calories. They're not eating enough protein. So at night their bodies start to freak out because they're hungry yeah. <laughs> and so their cortisol levels or stress hormone will wake them up at night. So, you know, biologically they can go out and hunt some food <laughs> to yeah. calm down this body. Um, so we'll work on diet. And then, you know, the third point I have, and then I'll, and then I'll stop monologuing here is to yeah, get, I love it. <laughs> We really have to be, you know, in line with our biological diurnal cortisol pattern rhythms. We're, we're, we're rhythmic beings. Women are. And so, you know, sitting inside being in front of a computer or a TV screen all day long is going to rob your body of that balance in your brain, your pineal gland, um, and your hormone system to where you're going to have trouble sleeping at night too. So eating lots of protein, getting outside and maybe testing those progesterone levels are my first three interventions I'll do if a woman comes to me and is lacking in sleep. Yeah, that is just brilliant. Um, yeah. And again, it's like my mind is, there's so much going on in it. I'm just like, why, when you go to your GP, do they not test your levels? Why do they not volunteer that information to us? And that we have to go and find out all this information elsewhere. And what happens then is, of course, the anxiety creeps in and because you're going, well, why am I handling it so bad and my neighbor is fine? Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> so when you talk about estrogen, so estrogen, as you said, is such a big player in hormone replacement therapy. So if someone decides not to have hormone replacement therapy, um, where, where do they get the estrogen from then? 
Yes. Okay. And that's that there's kind of a, a twofold difference there. So if someone is truly deficient in estrogen, then, um, you know, there are bio, uh, bioidentical options available from your, your GP or OBGYN. However, um, Dr. John Lee is one of the pioneers in progesterone therapy, you know, practicing through the eighties. He wrote so many books. You can barely read them all. Um, but he was a big proponent of progesterone therapy only in perimenopause and menopause. Also the work of Dr. Geraldine Pryor, now the work of Dr. Lara Bryden. These are all brilliant people that I've studied along, you know, my, my journey and through school, um, who are again, big proponents of progesterone only therapy. The reason being this generally women will create enough estrogen through throughout their lives and then be exposed to estrogens in the environment through, you know, plastics and chemicals. Um, the body generally has to efficient estrogen it tends to be a lack of progesterone that really brings on a lot of the symptoms of perimenopause. Now, the caveat is when we slide into menopause, you know, that's when our estrogen levels really do tank. And that's that, that is what characterizes true menopause, a cessation of a menstrual cycle for 12 months or more and really low estrogen levels. At that point, you know, of course you can go to your doctor and if you've tested, maybe add in a little bit of bioidentical estrogen or estradiol E2, just estradiol. Um, but you always want to balance it out with progesterone. Those two sisters are meant to be together. You know, I, I always get very nervous when I see someone come to me and their doctors put them on estrogen replacement therapy only without that protective effect of the progesterone. And that's, again, one of the, the main hallmarks of the work by Dr. John Lee is getting in that protective progesterone if you were going to go on estrogen replacement therapy. And I see that very rarely in my practice, which is really unfortunate. Wow, you're after blowing my mind again, Jennifer. And I think <laughs> a lot of listeners will be hearing this for the first time and going, why has nobody told me this again when I went to my GP? Or, you know, maybe this is, could have helped me all along and I've been struggling for all these years. I think you're going to be like a savior to a lot of women out there, Jennifer, when they hear this podcast. I really mean that. Well, I love getting information out to women. I mean, the words of Weston A. Price are you teach, you teach, you teach. So anything that I'm able to take in, I just love being able to share with women. So thank you for giving me the opportunity, Sharon. Oh, no, Jennifer, I really am so grateful already. You know, we're only halfway through the podcast because I think there's so many women going to breathe a sigh of relief. You know, I'm not crazy. You know, no. this is what's going on inside of my body. And again, I think if we were... And again, that's why this podcast, making people more aware, giving them more information and knowledge, and then letting them go and ask the right questions to yes. their general practitioner. They have what they need to know, you know, because a lot of women are walking in and they don't know. And as a lot of people do, they wait for the general practitioner to say, this is it. And that's it. And they take it and they walk out the door and they don't feel better six months right. later. And they're nearly afraid to go back and ask for a change in it. And that's a good point too, is they, you know, women feel like, well, my doctor gave me antidepressants. Well, my doctor put me on birth control. Remember we're calling it our second puberty. So a lot of women will just get thrown birth control at them, you know, in their thirties and forties. And that that's even more of a problem because we just talked about the fact that, you know, birth control will suppress progesterone production. And so if you spend another decade suppressing that progesterone production, because birth control shut down your ovulation, your symptoms are just going to continue to get worse and worse. And that's why so many women feel, you know, out of control and hopeless about their situation 
situation is because they think they're doing the right thing by getting on this birth control. Um, but really it's just exacerbating all the things that, you know, they've had problems with in the beginning. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I am just like, wow, where, where were you 15 years ago, you know, when <laughs> I was starting on this journey and, you know, again, nobody seemed to have any answers. But yes. yeah, I just think this is amazing. And the other issue, and you spoke about it, the nutrition. So you spoke about animal protein. What if somebody doesn't eat animal? Sure, absolutely. And and many of my clients don't, you know, for moral or religious reasons. And so I completely understand that. My platform is that truly animal protein is the most nourishing. However, there are ways that you can get around that. Second tier would be fish or eggs. So if someone is willing to, you know, do some really well-raised fish, you know, like organic and um, pastured eggs, those can be another great adjunct for getting in that, the, the amino acids. Because what what we look at with protein isn't necessarily, you know, protein in the general sense. It's what is that protein structure composed of? And so looking at it from, you know, a molecular standpoint, we want to drill down into those amino acids and proteins are made of polypeptide chains or amino acids. And the body creates, you know, new tissue, new muscle out of those polypeptide chains, those amino acids. And so plant protein tends to be incomplete in their amino acid structure. And that's why it's just easy. It's just simpler. You know, if you were to eat animal protein, cause it's our, it's like, it's a done for you. <laughs> Here's your done for you protein. Yeah. If you are, you know, plant-based and you just have to work a little bit harder to get your complete amino acids. There's, there's 21, you know, amino acids. We have essential and non-essential amino acids, some that your body can create out of food and others that it just can't. And so it's really important for for a plant-based woman or, or man um, to make sure that you're emphasizing um, seeking out sources of those essential amino acids. Because again, for so many women, we've spent decades kind of tearing down the body by over-dieting, over-exercising, over-stressing, and under-sleeping. That will rob your muscles, your skeletal muscles, but also your vital organs, like your liver and your thyroid, um, of, you know, these essential proteins in order to make like a really robust structure. Um, and so getting in those particular essential amino acids are important for everyone, but particularly my plant-based women. Yeah. And supplementing health. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Supplementing can help. I really like high quality collagen protein. There are some good plant-based proteins, um, you know, pea or rice, um, is, is, fairly decent. If you're willing to do dairy, there are some really great dairy based proteins. Um, but again, it's just gonna, you're gonna have to do a little bit more sleuthing to get, to get those essential amino acids in. Very good. Thank you. Cause the other thing then, when we talk about nutrition, a lot of women that are perimenopausal or menopausal, they'll talk about their weight and not being able to lose weight and yes. And how can I eat more food? Because then I'm going to put on more weight. <laughs> and I'm oh, sure this is my many favorite. Clients, and that's one of the big, I think with, with perimenopausal women, weight is kind of the first thing that really, you know, apart from the anxiety and the lack of sleep, they nearly have zoned past that. But the minute they start seeing the weight gain, it's like, then they start panicking going, oh my God, I just can't shift it. What do I do? 
Oh my goodness. And I could talk about this all. I wish we had, you know, t- a month to talk about this because you're right. It is, it is the one thing that women, it, it's like a non-negotiable. I can spend five days up without sleep. No problem. Yeah. You know, I don't care if my mood's terrible, but man, you put on some weight and those women start to get angry. And I know because I've been one of them. So perimenopause is also characterized by an average weight gain over those 15 years of between five and 11 pounds. That's a dress size or two for a lot of women. So it becomes really real, really fast for women. Now let's just think about like all the things that we've been talking about this whole podcast, what has gotten us here, right? Overstressing, under eating, under sleeping, over exercising. So women just think that the things they've done in their twenties and thirties is going to work in perimenopause as long as they try harder. (laughs) And so they'll exercise more. They'll cut their calories deeper. You know, they'll, they'll get up earlier in the morning to go, you know, to a workout class or to go for a jog when really that's the worst thing you can do for your body. So real fast, I just want to introduce, maybe, maybe you've heard of this and maybe your, you know, listeners have heard of this, Dr. Ted Naiman, um, you know, brought to us like the general public, this theory has been out there from before Ted Naiman, but he's really put forth this idea of the protein to energy hypothesis or protein energy ratio. So this is something I will teach all of my clients and all of my students, because it's really, really important. Essentially the protein to energy hypothesis is that the body is biologically programmed to seek out a set number of protein grams every single day before it's satisfied. So what does that mean for a lot of women? You know, we get up in the morning, we drink a cup of black coffee, we're fasting through breakfast. We might fast a little bit through lunch. We'll snack here and there throughout the day, grab, you know, a couple pieces of our kids' lunch, or maybe a a few nuts, you know, from the office, like, you know, nut bowl or whatever, but we're not eating a ton during the day because we think that's going to help us. And we're really not hungry. Women don't wake up hungry either because they suppress their natural hunger signals for so long. What happened, Sharon, about three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon, we get home from work, we get home from school, we pour ourselves a giant glass of wine because it's been a stressful day. We get out the chocolate, we get out the chips and salsa, you know, anything that's salty or crunchy. Um, and then it's just kind of a, you know, free for all from there. But women are like, well, I haven't eaten all day. So I kind of deserve, you know, these snacks and I, I really don't eat that much. So why am I gaining this weight? Now that's just one very common scenario that doesn't apply to everyone across the board, but it's something I see crop up over and over and over again. And if you from, you know, the time of 4 p.m. till 10 p.m. are focusing on those crunchy, salty, kind of like lower calorie snacks. Have you met your protein goal for the day? Not even close. So the next day it's going to get worse. And the next week it's going to get worse. And the next year it's going to get worse because we're eating all of this food, but we're not getting the protein we need. So women are never satisfied. Our hunger is never slated. And this is why a lot of women just feel like their cravings are out of control, feel like they're gaining weight without cause, even though they're not eating very much. It's because they haven't met their protein goal for the day to turn off those cravings. So it's one of my favorite tools to teach clients, Hey, get hundred grams of protein today and watch how your cravings turn off. And then if you can do that day after day, This isn't sexy. I promise it's not fun or sexy, but if you can do that every single day for a week, for a month, for a year, you will fight that perimenopausal weight gain. I can tell you that because I've helped over 700 women do it and I've done it myself. Um, It really does work, Um, but it's a, it's a culture shift and it's a mindset shift. Wow. 
I love that. And even that piece of that nugget, that's a golden nugget to me now that you've just told people there as well. Because as you said, a lot of women say, well, I didn't eat anything during the day and I'm watching what I'm eating, but then they eat the wrong foods, of course, in the evening because they're craving all of this salt and sugar. And I must say it's absolutely true because even in the last while I have changed and whereas I've really been monitoring what I'm eating throughout the day, you know, and it has changed where I don't have the sweet craving anymore in the evening or even the salt craving in the evening. So again, for me, as you said, it is a mindset change. It's being aware of, okay, it's a little bit of planning, you know, what you're going to eat maybe the next day, having it in your cupboard, you know, and saying, okay, planning out a little bit what you're going to eat for yourself because so many women run out the door, they feed everybody else. And I hear them saying, oh, I ate something. I grabbed something quickly at lunchtime. And they're running on an empty tank constantly. And then the reward comes in the evening, but it's not a reward to their body at all. And I I love that you said that they're running on an empty tank. And if that is not the siren call of perimenopause, I don't know what is, you know, a nutritional standpoint, an emotional standpoint, a spiritual standpoint, a physical standpoint, you know, women come to this time in their life when they should be equipped for battle and their resources are just depleted. Yeah. Do you know what? Women are absolutely amazing, but I think the day of having to run on the empty tank and expecting so much of yourself, you know, that you have to take a step back and you have to be responsible for yourself now and say, okay, this is like your car or anything else. It's not going to run forever if you don't fill it up on its fuel (laughs) or gas. So you need to do the same for yourself. And we get our cars serviced every year or every few months. If there's something going on, which we get it seen to straight away, But when it comes to our own bodies, we let it kind of just drag behind us. And then when it's not able to get up in the morning or it's dragging itself off, we keep pushing it and pushing it until one day it's just going to stop working for us. And then it's and I'm not going to say too late, but then you have a lot more work to do to repair it. Yes. Gosh, I, I might, I might steal that from you and give you full attribution, Sharon. Why <laughs> would you, why would you treat your car better than your body? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because we are using our cars and it's again, something that gets us from A to B. But again, as with the work that I do, our body is a vehicle for us to be able to enjoy and participate in this life. So it's the vehicle that allows us inside because we're more than the body But the body is our carrier. It brings us, it allows us to stand up and to sit up and to smile and to see and to taste and to experience and touch all of those things. But we're not treating it with respect. We're not giving it the love. You know, when I think about a new baby, there was a new baby born within our family, two actually in the last year. And when we hold that new baby for the first time, we treat it with such fragility and it's so delicate and so pure and we want to feed it the best foods and we want to wash it gently and give it all the sleep that it needs and then as soon as it starts walking we're like hurry up hurry up come on get this done (laughs) (laughs) and I think sometimes women have to bring themselves back to that vulnerability and to say today I need somebody to care for me I need someone to say, what do you need? 
because women are very, and they're guilty of it themselves, of taking care of everyone's needs. And what mm-hmm. I can't, how could I rest? How can I eat right today? I'm looking after everybody else. And I had to work and it was busy. And there's always the excuses. I've made them myself. But if we just stopped and whoever listens to this podcast, just to stop for a moment after you listen to Jennifer's words and say, am I running on an empty tank? Have I given myself the protein that I need? And it's whatever time of the day now I'm listening. Have I slept well in the last week? You know, have I gone to bed and had a good sleep? You know, am I drinking enough water? Am I pushing myself or could I take it a little bit easier without feeling guilty? If you only ask yourself a few little questions, you become a little bit more aware of who you are and where you are in your life and asking yourself, what is it I really need right now? Oh, that is so beautiful. And, you know, the more I talk to women, the more I hear that theme that, you know, as we've said, this is what women do. Like we take care of others. This world, you know, needs women, needs healthy, strong women as a backbone of our culture. And so I often tell my clients, I know your heart is to care for others. Like it becomes disturbed when our health is off, right? It becomes something that it shouldn't it shouldn't be. It becomes more of like a martyr complex. But my job as a health practitioner, my job in working with my clients is to equip my women to better serve others because that's what they're going to do anyway. And yeah. so I might as well make sure that they feel their absolute best so that they have the wherewithal to care well for others. So that's what I tell them. I teach you to care for yourself so that you can better care for those who depend on you. And that's what I think is at the crux of so many women being fearful of not being able to you know, perform well at their job or with their their family is because they feel like so many people depend on me to do this because women are capable. <laughs> like We're very yeah. capable. We do a good job at what we do, but we also have to, as you said, you know, take that step back and care for the machine that's been entrusted to us, care for it well, um, you know, with your fantastic analogy, get oil changes and fill up with gas and take time to, you know, go through an expensive car wash. <laughs> right? Yes. And shine your car and have it gleaming <laughs> on the outside. And you're the bedraggled mess inside driving it. Yeah. Oh, so true. And, you know, just as you were saying to take time to care for yourself, you know, I think that a lot of women hear that and they think, well, that's not actionable for me. I can't access that self-care because I, you know, I'm too busy or I don't even know where to start. And so I'm very practical in the steps that I give my clients to do. And I just wanted to share a few of those with your listeners, if that's okay. Okay. (laughs) There's one thing I have my clients do is I have them start walking. I don't want my clients doing really heavy exercise. The body is just not, it doesn't have the capability to do that during perimenopause. Um, it's just, doesn't have a lot of of gas in the tank. So I I tell them let's get outside and walk a total of 10,000 steps outside every single day. It can be five minutes here, seven minutes there, but the important thing is just to move your body in the sun or, you know, in the the weather, if the case may be, um, as often as possible, about 10,000 steps a day. That's our ancestors were walking between six and 10 miles every single day. So 10,000 steps puts us at about four or five miles, which is very doable, keeps you agile, keeps your body very functional for a long period of time and isn't too stressful on the body. I also encourage my clients to tap into their breath. 
And there are apps that I love for this. You can use the app Calm, you can use the app Breathwork, or you can just train yourself to do deep breathing. And this is very accessible because you can do it when you wake up in the morning, before you get out of bed. You can do it if you have little babies and you sneak away to go potty <laughs> for one minute. You can stay in there an extra minute and do you know some deep breathing exercises. You can do it in the car pickup line. You can do it waiting in line at the grocery store. No one has to know that you are practicing deep breathing, but it's free and it's a great way to calm anxiety or frustration or overwhelm at any given time. Do is start to take Epsom salt baths. You talked about magnesium and how calming it was and how helpful it was for your sleep and anxiety. And a lot of my women's guts are messed up, right? They have a hard time taking in that excess magnesium. And if they do, it can cause diarrhea or GI upset. I really love Epsom salt baths, one to two cups of Epsom salts in a hot bath at night before bed. Number one, raise your body temperature just enough to then cool it off and get ready for sleep. And number two gets you that transdermal magnesium that gets into your bloodstream a lot quicker and starts relaxing you to allow a really good night's sleep. If you don't have a bath or you don't like baths, you can go on you know, Amazon and you can get a $20 foot bath and do the same thing. Just dump your Epsom salts in that foot bath and sit in there while you're watching TV or talking to your kids or getting ready for bed, reading a book. Um, those are inexpensive and really actionable steps that busy women can take to start doing self-care. I love them. And I love that you mentioned the breath work. Obviously, that's part of my work as well. And I always yes. say that, <laughs> you know, we all need to go to the bathroom. So when you are sitting on that toilet and you're going, oh, my God, what am I to do next? Stop and just focus on the breath. And the breath for me is all was the anchor back to ourselves, back to the moment, back to our own awareness. And quite often we only notice the breath when we are anxious or we're worried about something or having that little panic or when we are like a lot of women are too hot and they're noticing they're blowing and sighing a lot as they're fanning themselves. So the breath is really important. And again, it gets you in touch with your body. The walking, I love that out in nature because again, I think we need to connect with nature more and I'm sure you've heard of grounding. So I would say to everyone, get in your bare feet, go out onto the earth and stand there and charge yourself. It's, it's like you charge yes. your car battery, charge your energy with the earth grounding. Beautiful. And yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about, you said, but what lessons can we learn from our great, great, great grandmothers? <laughs> Oh, yes. It's one of my favorite things. It, it centers people. It, it really gives them a frame of reference because I always tell my women, we're in the middle of this grand social experiment that I think we can all agree is going horribly wrong. You know, women are, are meant to now take care of the home and families, but also be outside the home working full-time jobs, you know, uh, look perfect while you're doing it in your spandex yoga pants um, and have a great attitude, right? Just you know, you've got this perfect veneer that you're expected to have as, um, you know, a, a modern woman and all of us are crumbling under the weight of it. It's not just, it's you listener. It's not just you. It's not just your best friend. It's, it's all of us. It's just too much. And so taking a step back, and this is what I ask my clients all the time and really myself, what would my great, great, great grandmother eat? And so I'll ask my clients, you know, I have clients from whose ancestors are from Russia or, you know, 
equatorial South America or myself, you know, from, from Poland and Czechoslovakia, there are different foods that our ancestors would have eaten. So I take that into account when I'm, you know, walking my clients through their nutritional needs, I'm going to, you know, work with a Pacific Islander a lot different than I'm going to work with, you know, a, a Northern Russian, um, because for millennia, our, our ancestors have been eating very different foods. Someone, you know, around the equator is going to tolerate carbohydrates and, and, you know, fruit and even sugars a lot better than someone who, you know, had to survive on yak meat and milk for millennia. Right. So diet, um, when it comes to our ancestors is important. Also our ancestors, my great, great grandmother could not go to the gas station on the corner and pick up three bags of chips, a soda, and, you know, a sweet <laughs> that just couldn't happen. And so that, that just pulls out a lot of possibilities of, of food, food, like substances, you know, in the modern diet, if, if my great grandmother couldn't access it, I don't want to eat it every once in a while. I will. Cause you know, it's fun and food should be yeah. fun sometimes, but it's not going to make up the crux of my diet. Then what was my great, great grandmother, you know, how was she spending her day? Well, she was tending to her family. She was probably tending to her homestead, right? She was taking care of her animals. She was growing her own food. All those things aren't necessarily, uh, you know, they're not possible for all of us to do today, but it does put an emphasis on, you know, the home and the family and the actual preparation of food. I can't tell you how many women tell me, well, I don't have time to cook. Okay. Well, can you make time to cook? Like, can we get off of Instagram or Facebook just for 20 minutes? Can we, you know, cut out one of the activities that we think is so important for the day, but that we complain about later, <laughs> you know, um, can we, can we hire someone to help us cook? Can we get together with a sister or a friend and have a little, you know, hour or two where we're cooking together? These are, these are things that have been so inherent to us as women, as, as a culture for so long that to rob us of that, you know, food preparation, or, you know, like cooking time is it robs us of a little bit of our soul and, and our, our heritage and our birthright. And that's why I think so many women are, you know, so sick and feeling so poorly is because we're relying on food. That's not food, um, you know, to, to sustain us and nourish us when it just can't do that. You know, our ancestors were outside. They slept with the sun and the, the cycles of the sun and moon. Um, you know, they they took breaks during their menstrual cycles. They had to actually be outside camp <laughs> when they were menstruating and, and resting. So there are so many corollaries that we can draw from our ancestors. And I'm not saying it was perfect. I mean, they were also dying of diphtheria and, you know, polio. <laughs> um, so we aren't going to glamorize, you know, our ancestors, but we can take, um, you know, some, some lessons from them that are going to be pertinent to us today yeah and it is it again something I only spoke about recently and I said you know that what did they eat and they didn't have the processed foods and just as you said I heard a lovely story a few years ago from a neighbor of mine and he said and this is going back now many 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 years and he said the only time that his father went to the local shop which was miles away from him he went on a horse and cart to buy a bag of sugar so they could make the Christmas cake. That was the only <laughs> thing he went to the shop for was sugar. And maybe there was something else because they grew everything else. They had their own um, poultry, you know, or whatever they had. Some people, I think they only started eating turkey years ago, really in Ireland, you know, it was duck or goose or geese or whatever it was. Yes. At the time. And they didn't have fridges. So their meat was salted and they, 
put their potatoes in pits to keep them fresh. You know, and we were talking about all of that the other day. And I said, my God, I said, have we come so far, but we're still so backward. Yes. And I think time will tell. At some point, people will look back and think, what were we doing to ourselves? Who told us this was a good idea? And why did we believe them? And, you know, the modern foods are tasty and they're convenient. I'm not going to lie. They are. And, and we have some of them in our home because I have four children, um, but it's not the backbone of our diet. It's it's a it's a treat. It's a, a luxury. Um, and it's, it happens every once in a while. You know, the backbone of our diet is very ancestral. It's a lot of protein. It's a lot of produce, fruits and vegetables vegetables and, and nuts and clean water. Um, you know, these are very easy things and relatively inexpensive in the fact that you have to buy groceries anyway. So why not switch over to these more paleo ancestral like foods, just because you get more bang for your buck, according to the protein to energy hypothesis, you get fuller faster and therefore need less food. (laughs) So it's a (laughs) win-win. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that, Jennifer. Would you believe it? We're nearly out of time, but I think you have shared so much with us, Jennifer, not just for perimenopausal women, but again, even with the protein in our diets, you know, going back to our ancestors and looking at what we're eating in our own homes, what we're feeding ourselves and our children, you know, and our families and making time. And one of the things that I loved also you said is, you know, where women, they rested But I think what women are missing as well is the connection to other women because they're so busy with their careers, with their families, all the activities the children have to do now and they have to do. By the time it comes to bed, they're exhausted, but then they can't sleep if they're perimenopausal, if they're not doing the right for themselves. (laughs) And I remember my mother always saying that there was always people around, you know, the women used to come together and they used to sit around over a cup of tea and they talk about everything and they share their stories and their problems. And someone older might give a bit of advice or they'd say, well, you know what my mother used to do when this happened? And there was things passed down to each other. Whereas I think we've stopped doing that now. So we're looking to the outside sources and we're not sure if it's right for us. But I think everything that you've shared, you've connected with so many women with your words because I agree with every single one of them. And I think it's just the basics of really of what people need right now if they're facing that perimenopausal journey, because it can be hard and it can be very challenging. So please get all the support you can. And if anybody wants to contact you, Jennifer, um, jenniferwoodwardnutrition.com. And I have all of these on the show notes. And you also have a free guide to download with three recipes for balancing core hormones. I love that. And you're on Instagram as well, which I can see from your timeline. You have a lovely, beautiful feed on it there with lots of loads of information for everybody. And that's Jennifer underscore Woodward underscore wellness and Facebook Jennifer Woodward Nutrition. Jennifer, thank you so much. Sharon, I have enjoyed sitting at your table. I could spend time with you for hours. It has just been a a true pleasure. So thank you for having me. Oh my God, that hour just flew by. And, (laughs) but again, it's such, there's such, it's such a variety of stuff that you've given us, you know, that I think everyone's going to get a little takeaway from it. But again, if anybody out there is listening and you are going through some of these awful things that women go through and you're feeling alone, contact Jennifer 
You do work with clients online as well, Jennifer. So it doesn't matter where they are in the world. Yes, ma'am. My practice is actually 100% virtual. So I do work with women all over the world. And it truly is my passion to help women rebalance their hormones and feel better. That is brilliant. Jennifer, thank you so much for your time and your beautiful energy and for your wisdom and knowledge. Thank you, Sharon. And thanks to everyone who's listening today. I just appreciate you all. Oh, thank you, everyone. And I look forward to connecting to you all again soon. Until then, take care.